Welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. I am your host, Keith Dent. And on today's show, we'll talk about firefighters. When you think of a firefighter, who usually comes to mind? More than likely, you think of a white man in all of his gear. But for the most part, you would be right, with 96% of the U.S. career firefighters being men and 82% being white. But how do fire departments go about becoming more diverse? Derek Alconis, the assistant fire chief of the Los Angeles Fire Department, said this, and I quote, we have to diversify because it actually improves our organization. It helps us address the needs of the public better. And in Jersey City, they're doing just that. Our guest today is Dwayne Taylor, who has served on the Jersey City Fire Department for over 18 years and is the only African-American battalion chief in the second biggest city in New Jersey. That's not the only thing that makes his story special. He is also the grandson of Thomas Gerald Taylor, who was the first African-American to integrate the Jersey City Fire Department and founded the Vulcan Pioneers of New Jersey, a civic organization made up of minority firefighters. On today's show, we talk about that legacy Duane's grandfather gave him and how he has used those lessons to strengthen not only the Jersey City community, but the African-American community as a whole. On that note, let's start the show. Okay, Dwayne, welcome to the show. How, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Very good. I'm just glad you're on the show today because we're going to just talk about something that we normally will see on TV, not necessarily in real life to talk mm-hmm. about. So I, I'm, I'm glad to talk to you today. So I know you're uh, from Jersey City. I am. So um, basically kind of give an overview. Sometimes I'll ask the question depending on who my guest is, what, what was it like growing up in Jersey City? For me, growing up in Jersey City was awesome. See, I, I grew up at a time before all the game consoles and all the, you know, all the computer games. So my childhood was spent outside. I was outside all right. the time. I, I was outside from sun up to sundown. And at that time, it was peaceful. It was nice. It was before, unfortunately, all the, the drug issues of the 80s. So my childhood was great. My childhood was, you know, if you ever see like comedians or, or, or certain TV personalities that say, oh, you better be home before the lights come on. That was my childhood. <laughs> right, so I was outside right. all day, all day. And it was safe. Like my mother never worried about my safety at that time. And I'm, literally, I'm, I'm talking outside in the AM coming home in the PM, you know, just, just before the lights came on. So my childhood was great. My childhood was filled with, you know, uh, thick fall. We called it crate ball at the time. It wasn't basketball because we used a crate, you know, right. nailed up to a tree. Oh, a crate okay. ball. Oh, you know, wow. That, that, that was my childhood. <laughs> so, it was, you know, stick ball in the park. We used to have lots. We used to play kickball. It's just full of sports and fun. That was my childhood. It was great. It was great. I know it's, it is sad that we can't really even get the kids out to play um, yeah. kickball and yeah. stuff. Yeah, our, our game yeah. was four square. You know, we had a, we, oh, we yeah. used to play that. <laughs> Oh, religiously, you know, and yeah. my dad would get, he would get yeah. out there and play with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. yeah. And it's just too bad. We just can't get the kids out to do, you know, simple things, yeah. you know? Yeah, it is. It's Blame a different that techno- world. Blame different that technology. Yeah. yeah, really. It, it's yeah. not good. It's, a, it's, a, it's unfortunate. That, that is the unfortunate thing about technology. It, it tends to make you lazier 
yeah. as, as it gets more advanced, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners uh, today, um, you know, give me uh, let people know who you are. So who is Dwayne Taylor? I'm just I'm just I'm Dwayne Taylor, born and raised in Jersey, love my city. I'm just a person trying to leave things better than the way I found. That's always been my life. Like if I enter a situation, I'm going to try to benefit from it. I'm going to try to make it better than it was before I got there. I'm a person that tries to lift up my people. I'm trying to, you know, put people in the right direction because, you know, I was a product of Jersey City and I could have went down the wrong path. But because of the guidance, the family, my, my parents, you know, the people in my life, I think I, I went in the right direction. So that's all I try to do. Is I try to, you know, get involved with uh, projects and things just to, to make everyone better. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just me in a nutshell. Right. Simple, right. simple, simple person. I like simple things. Not nothing fancy. I'm not big on, you know, much of anything. I just like to just like I said, just just come into a situation and leave it better than the way I thought. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And that's what I think most of us strive to do, or at least mm-hmm. when we're at a certain at a young age, you know, that's what we all try to do until you know certain circumstances kind of can derail us. Yeah. And um, and I think that's well, I'm sure we'll discuss that, especially just growing up in Jersey City, seeing some of the differences and the changes uh, mm-hmm. that have happened in your city. I know at one point you um, you got your degree in culinary arts. Is that right? I did. I did. And, in Jersey so, City. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> what was it about that drew you to that profession? I've always had a love for cooking. Like, OK. So me, I could never have a job where I'd sit around all day in front of a computer, all day sitting at a desk, nine to five. That, that was never my life. I could, I could never do that. So I had to figure out what I was going to do because the fire department, you know, the way the fire department works is you basically have, uh, basically the, the exam doesn't come out, but between every three years. So you have between three and four years. It's not like a you can apply whenever you want to. Mm, okay. You have you have to wait for that test to come out. So I, my whole life, I wanted to be a firefighter. We'll talk oh. more about that later, I'm sure. Okay. So, but my mother, being my mother, said, you know, you're still gonna have to do something else before that test comes around. I'm like, no, nah, ma, I don't want to go to school. I'm gonna be a firefighter. That's it. And she just sat me down, and she was very real. She was saying, you know, it doesn't work out for everyone. You know, a lot of people who want to do certain things doesn't always work out. You're going to have something to fall back on. So I'm like, you know, listening. I've always tried to listen to my parents. They always gave great advice. So I said, okay, so what am I going to do with myself? So, you know, just like anybody else, okay, I'm going to go to college is something that I want to do. So I looked through, you know, uh, different colleges and I said, you know, culinary, I, said, oh, I always like to cook. My family's very big on cooking. Like anything we do is food involved. Any kind of party, any kind of <laughs> gathering there is food involved. And I mean, a ton of food, no little snacks, food. So I said, okay, let me, let me see what this is about. Fell in love with it instantly, instantly fell in love, even though it was very demanding, culinary school is very demanding, right. but I loved it. When something you love, it's easy. It doesn't matter what it is. So it was, it was pretty, you know, it was demanding, but for me, it was easy. So that's pretty much how I got it. Oh, okay. And what was your specialty? How much of, I like baking. Making like oh, okay. pies, that type of thing. I can say that was my specialty, but I love contemporary, traditional. It doesn't matter. I just like to eat. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I just like to cook and eat. It didn't matter. Okay. So you, you basically knew you had a love for being a firefighter. 
So, yeah. you know, so let's kind of switch gears, you know, and talk mm-hmm. about your grandfather. So mm-hmm. he was actually the first African-American firefighter in Jersey City. In Jersey, he was back in 1950, yes. 1950s. So I'm sure he saw a lot of um, just a lot of things, you know, be, and yeah. we'll kind of get to that later. But uh, what were some of the, well, first question, what were some of the lessons that he taught you when he, he realized that you wanted to be a firefighter? Well, I can't say, you know, because he was older. He, he suffered from a stroke when, oh. uh, when I was younger. But so it wasn't like a sit down type of a lesson. It was okay. more of a lesson of, the, of looking at the things that he accomplished, like the things that he did. Okay. So the, definitely the thing that he taught me of something that I think I learned from him was don't ever be afraid. Don't ever be afraid to step out of that line. Don't ever be afraid to, to try to get what you want basically, mm. you know, cause back then, you know, I, I don't have to tell you the racism and things that were going on back then. It was almost like the height of racism back then. So he faced a lot of that, a lot of that. So he had to have a lot of courage to do what he did, to do what he did, to accomplish what he did. So biggest lesson he told me was, or showed me was that sometimes it has to be you that has to change some. It has to be you that, you know, takes those blows for your people, basically. Mm. So me looking at that, I was never afraid to do anything, like anything I wanted to do. It didn't matter, even though I knew, you know, I was going to you know, get some opposition from my own, from my own friends, from even some family about some of the things that I wanted to do in life. But looking at him, I said, you know, it's easy compared to what he went through. Anything that I wanted to do now at this time, it's easy compared to, to what he went through. So that I think that was the biggest thing he taught me. Wow. And, and how long did he actually endure the journey before there was another African-American firefighter that was hired? Was it, was it a um, long time? Not a very long because he, since he was the first one, he was only the first one that, uh, that actually got it. Now, before him, there were people who applied before him. Mm-hmm. It's not like he was just the first one that came up with the idea. He was right, the first right. one that got through, he, right. you know, first one that got through. Thank God of the administration change at, at that time. But shortly after he got on, maybe think about three or four years after he got on, more, more people of color got on the job. And it was because of him. He was the one that, you know, he got it. So just like me today, he's, you know, you know, reaching down, pulling guys up with him. So he, when, once he got on the job, he went out and got more people on the job. Oh, okay. More people right. of color on the job, yeah. And so, I mean, I know this wasn't um, a question we kind of discussed before the show, but being a fighter fire seems to be like a family business. You hear of oh, yeah. the legacy. So what is it about the, this position where you do see sons, uncles, grandfathers uh, in the position? For, for me, it, it's, it's a great thing. It's, you know, well, first of all, being a firefighter is one of the greatest jobs in the world. Any, any firefighter you talk to will say that, who truly love the job and appreciates it and understands it. It's the greatest job in the world. That it's, it's a job like no other. As far as, just like you're saying, like it is a family. It, it's, I, I can't even begin to express or, or, or tell you how, what it is. It's, you have to experience it to fully understand it. Mm. But me seeing, um, first of all, it's not, it's not surprising because it's just like any other job. Like you take, take the common plumber or, or take the, the guy who's into construction. They always seem to pull their kid into it. And it's, not, it's always not intentional. 
Like I've never been in a position where my grandfather or father sat down and said, this is what you're going to do with your life. It was never like that. It was mm. just seeing, like going with him to the firehouse, seeing the camaraderie, of course, seeing the big trucks playing on the trucks and everything, you fall in love with it. So yeah. it's, it's the same way. Once they just expose you to it, you start to understand it and you start to see it and see what it really is. And you say, I can do this. Or this is something I might want to do. And then for me, it just, it just works for me. So seeing, you know, that, that's how it started. That's, that's where it is for me. That's what I think. It right, is. right. I mean, and that's a, I mean, and I know I didn't want to segue to this one a little earlier, but it just really lends the question of, because it is an active position. Um, you, you're outside, you're doing activities. I mean, there is some source of danger whereby it would lend itself to maybe more African-Americans kind of applying or just being interested in it. So, you know, in the study and I did, as doing a little research, I did notice that most of the positions, it's basically white and male. And so my first question for asking my other one is, why is that? Because I would think this would be a perfect position for some of our young African-American boys to um, participate in. So, I mean, and you may want to just use Jersey City as your kind of backdrop, but why aren't as many African-Americans getting into the field? There's a lot of reasons for that. One, and I'll tell you, I'm, glad, I'm actually glad you brought it up because it was a big secret, you see, because it's a great job. You make a lot of money and it's just a great job. So it was a secret. So certain, certain, they kept it a secret. Now, me personally, if it weren't for my uh, grandfather and father involved with it, I would have never known about it. It's not something that you see posted in, you know, the corner store or when there's an exam coming out, you don't see people running outside, you know, combing the schools, you know, or, or letting people know that, hey, the fire department is hiring. Yesterday, today, because of that, I'm a part of an organization, not an organization, but a group within the department. Um, it's like a recruiting team. So now we are doing those things. Mm. We are exposing the job to, to the city. To we go, We're going to schools. We're going to colleges. We're going to job fairs. We're going on the street. We're combing basketball courts, whatever. Whatever we can do in order to get more people involved or just, you know, just make it known. Because they don't know. Because we've had people come up to us saying, how do I become a firefighter? And, you know, you sit there and like, they don't even know this is half of the problem. They don't even know how to apply. So it's people like me. It's our responsibility to get out there and expose it, to let them know how, how they can become a firefighter. Now, that's on our part. Now, on the part of people not being, you know, interested in it, people, when they think of firefighters, they right away think of running into a burning building, risking life. And that scares a lot of people. Mm. And, you know, rightfully so. It, it does take a special individual to do it because, you know, you're supposed to be running out of a burning building, not running in. <laughs> right. people, people understand that. And a lot of people aren't intimidated about it. They don't understand how truly it's, it's the way we do things. It's pretty safe. But people don't understand that. You got to understand when there's a fire in Jersey City, on the initial call for a call of a fire, you have about 40 people, 40 firefighters there. Okay, mm. right away. So you have 39 other people watching your back, basically. So if you so if somebody gets on that radio and they call that Mayday, everything stops. Mm. Like uh, unfortunately, everything. Well, what happens is everything stops, and then okay. the chief calls the chief calls for reinforcements to come. 
to take care of the fire. Because now, once you call that mayday, you got everybody looking for you. So if you get stuck in the floor, if you get trapped in the room, you have mm. 39 other people trying to get you out. So that's just how we do things. Because people don't understand that. They're thinking you're on your own when you went into that building, and that's just not the case. Very safe. Um, now, it's a now reason why there aren't a lot of females on the job, because it's a pretty demanding job. I mean, that's changing also. We have, we have almost, um, I think, I believe uh, 15, 16 women on the job now. Okay. So that's actually, that's actually part of it, too. African-Americans, too, we're actually doing a little bit better there. We have about uh, 60 now. Where oh, before, wow. it might have been 25, 30. Yeah. So we're actually, we're, it's, it's small steps. But we are, we are making that climb. We are making that climb. Now, like I said, it's, a, it's, a, it's very demanding. It's a very physically demanding job. So that might be what intimidates a lot of females. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, we're trying just like uh, trying to get more, more people of color or minorities on the job. We're still trying to, you know, just get that information out there to let people know what it really is. Right. And, and that's fantastic uh, to know that Jersey City is uh, making strides to mm-hmm. get more African-Americans uh, on the job and by doing more, more outreach because, I mean, and I knew that the test didn't happen all the time, but I didn't know that people, they would try to make it, take it, make it a secret. So that's mm-hmm. quite fascinating mm-hmm. that that would even occur. Um, but I guess it does make sense just with the way the numbers are falling. And, uh, you know, oh, you know, Uncle Johnny, you know, uh, the test is coming up. Make sure you get down to so and so and not being posted. Um, yep. And so was there ever um, so with they said that, you know, you're trying to run out of a building and not really run into it. I mean, over your 18, 19 career year career, was there um, an instance where you were really concerned about your safety? And um, that you really thought there was going to be some, you know, damage to your, your cell, your health or anything like that. Sure. There has been a couple of things <laughs> like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anytime, it, I mean, you, it has to be on your mind. It, it is on your mind. Anytime you approach like a fight that's going really good. But there have been a couple of times where I'm like, wow, this, this could get a little hairy. And it's just at those times you have to just stop for a second. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but you have to stop for a second and just know your surroundings. So basically, where's the, where's the closest window? Like, should I even go? Like, you shouldn't put yourself in that danger. Like, if it's something really bad, you shouldn't go. Like, it's not, you know, it's not like everything's on fire. You still got to walk through that fire. Absolutely not. You mm. can only do what you can do. We're only human. Like, a lot right. of people... The gear that we put on is not fireproof. It's not like we can walk through fire. It simply slows the penetration of the heat. Oh, all that okay. gear, that's all it does. It's not fireproof. So there are certain situations where you don't just don't get into if if you if you can help it. You right. know what I mean? Um, but yeah, there's been oh, definitely. But like I said, you just that that experience. You just learn that over time. Where once you do a search, because that's when it can get the, the scariest or the most concerning is when you're doing a search. Because when you're doing a search, you're usually on a truck company. So you don't have the water with you. So oh, if you I have see. water, you can obviously just fight the fire. Right, right. But when you're, doing, when you're doing a search, you have to be careful. You have to be mindful of where you are. That's why I said, so when you're doing a search, we try to um, install or install in our men or, uh, sorry, firefighters to, when you're doing a search, when you're looking for a person, also look for a window in that room just in case you have to bail out of that window. Okay. 
So it's just, just training. It's just certain things that you can do in order to get out of that situation. But yeah, I've been in a couple of situations. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, and so with the, what would you say has been, or what's the hardest thing about being a firefighter? Surprisingly me personally, it's, the the uh emotional and the mental toll like it is a it is very very physically demanding but even more than that i think it's mentally demanding because you gotta understand when you get that phone call it's probably that person's worst day ever understand their family's probably trapped in a fire you know so it's their worst day ever so now we have to go there and we have to try to fix that problem okay when that fire is out for that family, that ordeal is over. But for us, that next call could be that same situation. And it might not be as successful as that first one. So we could, meaning we could lose people. Now that sits on you, you know, and you go home with that. And you always question, was this something I could have done better? Could I have saved that life? You know, that's that mental toll that it takes. Mm. And that's something that you just, you never forget it. Those bad fires, you do have them. Thank God it's not a lot. You sit and, you know, that stays with you. That stays with you forever. There are some fires now that I think of almost every day, unfortunately. I probably shouldn't, but I can't help it. Right. And it happened, what, five, six years ago, 10 years ago, and I still think about it, you know. Right. I think about it to the, you know, the capacity of could I have done something better? But I also think about it to help me learn or, or help me in the next experience. Like, I know I was unsuccessful doing this. So now I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try something different at this point. You know okay. what I mean? So it's, it's, it could be mental. I mean, thank God we have, we now, just recently, unfortunately, I don't know what they did, you know, 20, you know, 30 years ago, but we have things in place now to help people with that. So if we have that bad incident, we have doctors and things that we can talk to. We can, we can get that post-traumatic debriefing, that post-traumatic mm-hmm. debriefing right, right then and there. That's something right. that, that, you know, is, is special. Now, like, yeah, if we have a bad, if we have something bad, I don't even want to tell you what bad is, but if we have that bad situation, right. the chief can say, okay, everybody in this company is off duty. We're going to go, we're going to go to the therapist. We're going to go talk to someone, make sure everyone's all right. Oh, wow. Before, okay. Before leaving. Yeah. So it stops right away, right away. Like after that incident, it stops. Company's off duty. We're going to go to the medical center. We're going to go talk. Wow. We're going to get that debriefing, make sure everybody's all right eat, whatever you have to do, talk about it. And you'd be surprised. Like we've, we've had, I've been involved in a couple of those debriefings and it was good to see people open up. You know, we have people crying in the place, sure. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just opening up and just letting it out. Right. And that's just listening because that's, that, that, that to me is, is the hardest part about firefighting, that, that mental and emotional state that, that you're left with when an incident's over. All right. And so, and so you set a call. So would, would a, if you had a fire um, and that you had to fight, would there be a, a call, multiple call you have to go on soon after, or is there a grace period where no. you could go on the next call? No. 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 <laughs> okay. In, in Jersey, in Jersey City, you work 24 hours. That's why, mm. you know, a lot of people look at it and be like, oh, that's, that's not bad. It's not bad. Cause, well, you work 24 hours and you're off for three days after that. Now, the oh. reason for that, you need that three days to heal up <laughs> the fires that you fought. Right. It takes about three days just to get the soreness and then just to get yourself together. But like, how can I, once that fire, just like I said, once that, once that call is over, if another call comes in, you're rolling. Wow. That's it. Uh-huh. Once, once you get everything all together, I mean, you have that period to, you know, 
you refill your bottles, uh, you know, calm down, get something mm-hmm. to eat, you know, rehydrate. Right. Someone needs help. We roll. That's right. Like you can you can worry about that on those three days off. You can rest on those three days off. Because it's four days on, help, three days off. Is that is that how it works? Four no, days one on. One day, one day. No, one day on, three days off. Oh, one day on. Okay. Yeah. But in so that so one day, work, <laughs> that one day, that twenty four hours, you got to work for hours. Eight eight in the morning till eight that next morning. And we've done it. We've wow. gone into fires. Yeah, it started at eight oh five. We're there all day. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you are, as you, because I don't really know the timeline because it, it's been so long. So you were not a firefighter during nine eleven. I came on shortly but, after. But that. your your I was your dad. Was your dad? Yes. During that time. Yes, he okay. was a. He, I believe he went over to help. And not okay. I mean, a lot of a lot of firefighters right, right. at that time. Yeah. Were there any stories that he, you know, he kind of gave you that really helped kind of resonated? Because I know that was very trying time, especially for first responders, um, that really kind of stuck with you. Just the again, the camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Like how because remember, there were firefighters that came all the way from California to help out right. 9-11. Right. So they, they came from all over the world, really all over the world. Just the camaraderie, just how, you know, when there's something going on, you do have people in this world that want to help, despite mm-hmm. everything you hear going on around you. There are some good people in the world. Right. So just that, just that camaraderie, just that people trying to help, because you can't always do it yourself. Even this big department, you still can't do it yourself. Yeah. So yeah. just that, just knowing, you know, the stories that he had basically with that, like just people helping out and anybody just wanting to just pitch in and just help out. Right, right. And so you also, I guess this was just this past year, or well, 2021, uh, I think you were promoted to battalion chief. Yes. And well, congratulations, by the way. I know it's a tremendous accomplishment. So what does that mean to carry on that role and legacy uh, as a battalion chief in your family? It, for me, it's, it's like, I, I only did, well, I'll tell you why I did it a couple of, you know, couple of minutes but it feels good to have accomplished that because not a lot of people can so just to you know knowing that i just wanted to make the family proud okay. you know just just doing that and and i'll tell you that the reasons i, I did it for two reasons because i was very happy being a captain i had my crew i had my rig i was happy and right. i was good and i could have stayed there for my career but like i said i used to go around actually i still do go around in the schools and i talk to you know students about you know becoming a firefighter and you ask them this question when you think of you know the person in charge of the fire which is the chief what 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 do you see like you know you ask the students just close your eyes what do you see and most of them unfortunately would say i see a white guy in a white shirt i see a white Mm. guy in a white shirt so me personally I, i was like well you know you if you can't see it you can't be it why couldn't you say a black guy in that white shirt you know so that's one of the reasons why I did, because I wanted them to see that you can accomplish whatever you want. Like if you go out here and you try hard, you can accomplish it. But you can't accomplish it if you can't even see yourself in that position. So that's one of the reasons why I did it. Another, the only other reason I became a chief was because they denied my grandfather from becoming a chief. He wasn't a chief. They wouldn't mm-hmm. allow him to be a chief because of the, you know, the discrimination and the racism back then. Mm. They wouldn't allow... They, you know, and the funny thing is normally you would get a position like, you know, normal, a normal job. They'll give mm-hmm. you the position, but not the money. 
you know? Mm. They don't give you the title, but not the money. Right. But for him, but for him, they gave him the money, but not the title, wow. which is ridiculous. Yeah. They just did not want to see him in that white shirt. So that's why, that was the primary reason why I did it. I did it for him because now I high, got that white shirt for him. And the highest rank he got to was was what? A captain. He was a a captain. captain. Okay. Yeah. And I heard you say something, which I, you know, because I watched Chicago Fire. It's like one of my favorite shows. <laughs> um, so you actually, it wasn't like a promotion. You actually had to, and say compete, but you there was something you had to do in order to get this position? In any, in any rank in the Jersey City Fire Fund, you have to test for it. So you have to take a, basically a series of tests. It's an oral test and a written test that you have. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And so then what, so I I would assume um, the oral test involves knowing just what, what you would do in certain situations. Exactly. So they'll throw, they'll give you three, three scenarios and you have to basically get the bullet of each scenario. Okay. And how long does that take? How long does it last that test? The test, well, the written test, you know, it's a multiple choice question. Um, it takes about two hours, you know, for that multiple choice. And then the oral, you, so basically you have um, 45 minutes. So they'll give you three tests. They'll give you three tests that you have time to work on. And once you get in the room, you get another test on the spot. So basically you get 45 minutes for, you know, to, to get everything together for those three questions. You go mm. answer those questions in about 15 minutes. And then they'll give you another question on the spot that you have to answer in five to 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Wow. Basically. Yeah. Wow. And how many African-American battalion chiefs are there in Jersey City? Just me. Unfortunately, just Oh, one. just you. It's just me. So, yeah. So I got some work to do. So I'm trying to, they tested uh, recently, a couple of the captains, they tested for the test. Some of the, you know, um, African-Americans tested. So we got to see how they're, they're going to do. Actually, no, I'm, I'm lying. They're actually taking, they took the written test. They're actually still taking um, the oral test soon. Well, that's so amazing. Actually, so so yeah, you've no. been, you're being a little modest. This is like a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment. Yeah. Because it really says that one, you can work under pressure because I'm mm-hmm. sure it was very pressurized and you um you are standing on the shoulder, you, you know, you're able to, yeah, you were able to go in knowing what was going to happen to and take that weight, which yeah, I think absolutely. is, which I think is awesome because you knew if you, if you got through, you would be the, you would be the only one and to, yeah. to not um, shy away from that. So I think that's a great Testament to your family and the people yeah. around you. Just like my grandfather, it's like I told you, just like yeah. him, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta step, step out of that line. You gotta take the blows. That's what right. I'm trying to do. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, and so that's not the only thing. You're also an author and you wrote a book, um, Hello, William, It's Me, Dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, what is the book about? So basically, I was in a relationship with a lady and it didn't work out. And for some reason, I'm explaining reason, she won't let me see him. She won't let me see my son. Mm. So the, I wrote the book basically talking to him. So basically all of those lessons that I think a father should teach his son is in the book. So if I don't get a chance to talk to him, I'm going to talk to him through this book. Mm. That, that, that's basically the book. Me, me trying to not raise him, but just give him that, that manly advice that I got from, my, from the males in my family. Oh, wow. Because, I, I'm, you know, because I don't, I don't know if he has any males. But I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the situation currently. So this is basically just me reaching out to him, trying to still basically trying to be a father. Basically. Wow. Okay. 
And so that, that must be cathartic. So how what did it do to you emotionally to put a book like that together? And what were some of the top, what were some of the topics that you covered in the book? Basically, okay, it, it was very emotional, but that's how, you know, that's how I dealt with the frustration and the emotional pain, basically, just writing it out, just getting it out. Because I used to say, you know, talk to people about it. I'm sure they got tired of me whining about it. So I said, <laughs> you know what, let me, let me, let me go a different route because, you know, I don't want to sit here and, you know, talk to people about this for years. So that's how I got my, my, my frustrations out, my emotions out. I, I did it that way. And some of the top, I cover everything that I think a father should talk to his son about. So basically the family, um, who, you know, certain people aren't a family. I put pictures in the book so he could see them, like who his grandfather was. Uh, um, just basically my side of the family. His okay. aunts, uncles, me, his brothers, sisters, you know, talk about that. I talk about, um, I talk about sex even, even though it's uncomfortable. I do believe that you, you need to talk about sex with your child. I talk about um, some of the racism and things out in the world. Um, I talk about men and women. So all those lessons that mm. a father should talk to us. Fantastic. And of course, I talk about, you know, the relationship between his mother and I. I have to. Um, just how that went. Just what happened. Basically, basically my side of the story, because right. I doubt I doubt she's going to tell him the truth. So right. this is my truth. I just got to get it to him. That's, that, that's the <laughs> <Yeah>. goal. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A way to get it to him, you know? And do you, would you happen to know where he is or? He's still in Jersey City, last I checked. Okay. Last I, you know, knew. Now, where they are now, I, I don't, you know. They could they could still be in Jersey City or not, I don't know. Right. You know, I, went, right. I did go to the court battle. Um, it did not work out for me. Um, I'm actually lining up to try to do it again. I'm not giving up. I'm just right. not giving up. So I'm going to try it again and just see what happens from there and go from there. Well, I, I mean, I applaud you for your, you know, your courage and just your, your stick to it to this, to, to try to do that. Cause I mean, there are times where you know, we as dads can get a bad rap and, you know, yeah. think that we were not really there to support our kids, but you're a testament that that's not necessarily the case. So I um, pray that things will work out, you know, for you and you'll be able to get that book to him. So yeah, I uh, just that. just a couple of more questions. Um, yeah. So, if someone wanted to be a firefighter, uh, what are some of the qualities do you think they would need to be successful? Well, just understand the job. Well, first of all, if you want to be a firefighter, you just have to look. Go to the civil like it's the civil service website that I could give you later, and you just have to check it. Like you, if you really want to do it, you really gotta go out there and do it. You really have to be mindful of. When the test is coming out, you have to know when it's coming out. You got to apply for it. I believe it's fifty dollars for an, uh, an like an admission fee. And what you need is you got to have your driver's license. You have to have either a GED or a um, a high school diploma. And you just have to be a resident of Jersey City to be a Jersey City firefighter. Now right. that that doesn't you know. And I believe those same things apply to everywhere else. You just have to want to do it. Um, Understand that, you know, once you go through school, because a school could last you anywhere between three and six months. So you're going to learn everything you need to know about the job. Because that's mm -hmm. some people's reservation is about it. Like, I, I don't know if I want to, you know, I can't, I don't know if I can do it. I'm afraid of heights. There are firefighters afraid of heights that still do it. There are firefighters afraid of fire that still right. do it because you get taught how to deal with it and how mm -hmm. to go about right. staying physically fit, staying out of trouble. You can't be in trouble with the law. It's, it's best that you don't have a record. But if you do, 
there are, you know, I don't want to discourage people. Like if you got like a little brush with the law when you were 15 right. years old, that's okay. We can, right. you know, de- depending on the crime, obviously, oh, right. but you can, you know, still get through. But you just have to want to do it. Right. And I would think most, really most young people probably don't know that. They just think they won't, yeah. they won't qualify. Yeah, no, it's not the case. No, you can do it. You just got to just gotta try. You got to right. buy for it. That's life. You just got to try it. Just, right. go, on. just right. go for it. Go for it. Great, great. And any, any specific like physical or mental qualities you think someone would need? Because I would like, think, you know, you're mm-hmm. pretty fearless <laughs> to have to and to participate this so maybe even a little bit on the crazy side just to have to yeah. you know work 24 <laughs> yeah. hours a day you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it is it's not it's not for everyone you do right. yes you do have to be a little crazy but just like you know somebody in the military who's, who's, yeah. who's dodging bullets it's the right. same thing you just yeah. have to know what you know you, you know like I said, you get taught how to do almost everything. There is something for everything. Like fires are very, I won't say they're all the same, but the principles are there. Those, those same principles are still there. So we have you know, so much studying and so much research has gone into a lot of things that it's pretty much, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to be. This is what you have to do to avoid basically, mm. or this is what you have to do to get around it, basically. Right, right. Um, so, you know, in firefighting, you learn building construction, you learn science, that's why they call it a fire science, because there's no, there's no definite way that fire is going to go. So I call it a science. So there's, mm. for every action, there's a reaction. That's fire, basically. So, but no, just like I said, you got to be, you got to mentally understand that you are going to see things that are going to, you know, bother you. How are you going to deal with it? How are you going to accept it? How are you going to go home and drink? Or what are you going to do? So you know yourself. If you know you can't take certain things, then don't do it. It's just that simple. But like I said, you're going to get taught everything you need to know. And can you can you deal with certain things? Like how do you deal with adversity? How do you deal with mental problems? Like how 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 do you you know how how are you going to go about it? So for, for me, personally, if I was telling somebody about it, I would tell her definitely about that. Because me, like I said, I think that's the biggest thing. Physically, it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. I don't, I don't care. What other job you have is mm. the hardest thing you've ever done physically and mentally. Wow. So you got to prepare for that. So stay in shape. Well, that's why if you, you know, I don't know how much research you do, but a lot of firefighters' deaths are heart attacks. Because oh, really? I did not know they, that. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest one is heart attack. It's not like getting caught in fires. That's the that's lower end of the spectrum. It's heart attacks. Heart attacks, and then I believe the second is car accidents. You know, like getting getting to the fire. They're getting in the car accidents and getting in a truck accidents on the way to the fire. So heart attack is number one. Why? Because you can be complacent. Like, there could be no fires for like two or three months, literally. Like, like no big fires, no physically mm-hmm. demanding fires. Mm-hmm. But then, boom, that one day, you pull up, you got three houses, bro. You're gonna work. You're gonna you're gonna work. You're gonna go through bottles, and you can't stop because the fire is not out. That's the thing. You can't take a break. It's not like you know you can call a timeout like in the NBA or something like that. No, right. you got to keep going because if you stop, somebody could die, mm. and you can't have that. So that's that's why that happens. So you just have to stay physically fit and understand that you're gonna like I said, you're gonna see things that bother you. You have to be able to talk about. Them. You have to know that it's bothering you and get the help that's there. That help is there. So those are the things. Physic- stay physically fit and know your limitations as far as uh, emotional, emotionally and mentally. 
Right. That's what I would say. Awesome. Well, this has been a um, very awesome uh, conversation today. And so one of the things I we always like to do on the show is it's not just about your accomplishments, but just also just like to pour in to my guests and see just how they're feeling. So the question I always end with is, as a black man um, here in, I don't want to say in America, but in the world, because we're you know global now, how, how are you feeling as a black man? Me personally, I feel good. I like, you know, I like my life. Now, there are some things, of course, as well that bother me, absolutely. Because there's, you know, anytime you turn on the TV and you see something else, it's scary. Now, me personally, I think, I, I, I like to think things a little differently. Me personally, I think, I think we're doing better as, as a race, as far as opportunities in this and that. I, I don't see some of the, I don't, I don't experience some of the things other people experience. I'll say that. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I don't, I don't experience it. But me personally, I think we need to start with ourselves. Before we try to go out here and conquer the world or conquer what we're doing, we have to start with ourselves. I think we need to, to basically, we need to train the soldiers before we send them out to war. Mm. That's what I think. That, that, that's my stance on it. So I don't think we do that enough. I don't think, you know, we, you know, we're fighting for something. We're fighting for something. And then when we get it, it's almost like we don't know what we're doing at that point, you know? Mm. So me personally, I think we need to start with ourselves first. I think we need, we have, we need a lot more self-awareness, self-education before we start doing other things. That's that's my stance on being black in America right now. Okay, that's great. Well, Dwayne, I just want to thank you for being on today. This has really been um, awesome. I mean, I guess if I would have talked to you earlier, hey, who knows? I might have decided to be a firefighter. But <laughs> hopefully, right, your um, your testimony and just your story will inspire someone, especially our young people that really, really are searching for meaning. And if they can find meaning and not only just, you know, putting out fires, but saving lives, uh, we would we accomplished something today. So I want to thank you. Right. I'd love that. I'd love that. That'd be ideal. Thank you for having me. It's oh, great. you're welcome. I enjoy you're it. welcome. Thank you, Dwayne, for sharing your story. Very inspiring what he's doing to change the makeup of the Jersey City Fire Department. Black Men Speak was written, produced by me, Keith Dent. You can find past shows at Lipson, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We always like to end the show with a quote, and this one comes from George Washington Carver. And it goes like this, when you can do common things in life in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak Podcast. Peace.